This afternoon, I'm going to talk about freedom. And I'm talking about freedom primarily because, of course, Pride is today, and last, last Monday was Juneteenth, a federal holiday finally. And so these are occasions in which we recognize freedom. And so I thought I would talk about freedom today. And it's interesting because I think if we asked most Americans, just ordinary Americans on the street, what does freedom mean? What does it mean to be free? Most people would give kind of the intuitive answer. It means I can do whatever I want. And there's something problematic about that, that very conceptual, you know, very off-the-cuff definition of freedom. Because, of course, if I devote my life purely to satisfying what I want, purely just to chasing desires and trying to satisfy desires, um, well, that might be, seem initially exciting. Buddhism tells us that that leads to dissatisfaction, it leads to meaninglessness. It's not a path that leads to abiding happiness. It's kind of a paradox for America that Getting everything you want is not, does not lead to abiding happiness. And part of what's tricky also is that there's a difference between the feeling of freedom and actually being free. You know, if I want to satisfy desire, you know, there's some chocolate cake and oh, I'm going to get myself some chocolate cake and I get it, and then I eat it, I think in that whole process that I'm free. I, I probably really believe that I'm free in that whole process. But does it mean that I'm free if, just because I think I'm free? And nowhere is this distinction between the feeling of freedom and true freedom made more clear than in the study of addiction. And we know this from the psychology of addiction, that part of the, the way that a chemical addiction changes the brain is that the person thinks they're free. The person thinks, I'm choosing to have this next drink. I'm choosing to have this next hit. I could quit at any time. I have this totally under control. They think they're free. Now, of course, anyone from outside realizes how predictable their pattern is and and that they're not, in fact, free. Um, and, of course, the cliche is the first step, the hardest step, is admitting for the addict is to admit that they have a problem. You know, and it, it's a very hard step because it's hard, for, it's hard for all of us to see through our self-created delusions. And so I'll say that you know, there, there are some people in the, in the population who wrestle with a chemical addiction or who are in recovery from a chemical addiction. But I think all of us wrestle with other kinds of addictions. Addictions to thought patterns, to fantasies, to worries, to fears. Having the same tape run over and over again or having a similar sort of template you know, we adjust the individual circumstances, but eventually we're running the same album over and over again in our minds. 
And I think these are addictive loops also. And, you know, similarly, you know, the first step is admitting that we have a problem. So how do we get to freedom? Well, I think part of getting to freedom has to do with disciplining the monkey mind. I think we vastly underestimate how much the monkey mind contributes to human misery. Um, No one can think themselves into abiding happiness, but it's actually ridiculously easy to think your, your way into pure misery. And of course, training the monkey mind requires practice. It requires commitment. It requires dedication. Um, In fact, I'm going to read a quote from the quote sheet here. This is a quote from the Dhammapada. The Dhammapada is from the, the, the Pali Canon... The Pali Canon are the original writings of Buddhism. And it's funny if you, you know, a translation of the Pali Canon would fill a small bookshelf, basically. You know, it's an extensive literature. And of course, every sutra begins with, the Buddha said. But there's no possible way that any one human being could have said all of that, you know. But scholars of religion feel that of that whole set, this short text called the Dhammapada actually contains what probably is words of the historical Buddha. And so it is, it is valued, highly valued among the, the ancient texts. So this is just a short quote from the Dhammapada. As an archer aims his arrows, the wise aim their restless thoughts, hard to aim, hard to restrain. As a fish hooked and left on the sand, thrashes about in agony, the mind being trained in meditation trembles all over, desperate to escape the hand of Mara. And what I find very powerful about that, it really makes very clear what a struggle it is to train the mind. The fish hooked and left thrashing on the sand in agony is how it describes the mind when it first is, is wrestling with meditation. You know, it, it makes me very sad because I, you know, often I find myself, you know, I meet a person and then mention that I run a meditation group and so many times people say to me, yeah, I tried meditation and it didn't work for me. And I find that heartbreaking when I hear that. Because what I surmise is that they sat down expecting to find peacefulness and instead felt their mind thrashing about in agony and said, oh, it didn't work. You know, whereas that's exactly what's predicted, you know. So training the mind, of course, takes a lot of work. But insofar as we can hold silence, hold silence for even a short period, um, that, that's an enormous step toward freedom.
freedom from our own thoughts and freedom from our own fears. Another big part of freedom has to do with self-compassion, self-love. And this is because I often say that any, the insult that really lands in us is an insult that part of us believes. And so if I have lots of messages, lots of negative messages I'm carrying around in myself, then it's going to be easy as I go out into the world that either cruel people or just ambiguous situations are going to land as insulting to me. And essentially I'm going to be, you know, externalizing blame. You know, that made me feel bad, that person made me feel bad. And when I'm using that language, I'm saying that I'm not free. That other person has control over me in some way. The more I love myself, the more I accept myself, the more I accept even my human brokenness, even my mistakes, then the more I can simply accept what's happening in the world. You know, anything I can't accept in here, I can't accept out there. So the more I can accept in here, the more I can accept out there, and then the more likely I can just be in a an undefended place of witnessing, which is also an important step toward freedom, just being in, a, in an open-hearted, undefended place of witnessing. Buddhism talks about the four illimitable minds, the four mind states without limit. And these are love, compassion, joy, and equanimity. And it's a funny set because it's, there's a way that three of them are not like the other. You know, like, I think anyone would say they would like more love, compassion, and joy in their life. You know, like those are, those are you know... Those, the, the value of those three is readily accessible. Most people would not know what equanimity is or not know why it's valuable. Really, all four of those, in different ways, are about our paths that lead to our freedom. Um, freedom freedom through love, through compassion, through joy. Um, and equanimity in, might be the most direct in some ways. Um, equanimity is being in a place of inner balance. It's about that place of just resting in this, this deep inner stillness, free from fear and anxiety and aversion, free from grasping, so not, not wanting to pull anything toward me, not wanting to push anything away from me, but just simply witnessing. That's equanimity. And to be in the place where I am 
pure, in pure awareness, witnessing the world with equanimity. Uh, traditionally, this is known in Buddhism as the seat of Bodhi, the place of, of pure awareness. And I think we all have, we all taste moments of this. We all taste moments when we're, especially if we're looking at something where we, we have no stake in it, we're just, we're just what, what, you know, picturing a neutral scene, and sometimes we just have a moment when we're in pure awareness with that, you know. I think, I think it's, it's a lot closer than we realize. And of course, the trick is to have pure awareness, even when I'm looking at my own life and my own issues, you know, that's much harder. In Buddhism, they talk about the three refuges. I take refuge in the Buddha, I take refuge in the Dharma, I take refuge in the Sangha. And really, taking refuge in the Buddha, like in the West, I think there's almost a tendency to externalize the sacred, and like there's going to be a Buddha up there, and I'm taking refuge, and he's going to look out for me, you know, kind of thing. And that's not really the traditional understanding. The traditional understanding is that Buddha is pure awareness and is the capacity for pure awareness within all of us. Um, and that to take refuge in the Buddha means to take refuge in my own capacity for pure presence. And I think we vastly underestimate how much consolation and how much healing is available simply being present to what is. When we're deeply present to what is, that is true freedom. So I'll share the quote sheet with the crowds of people in the room here. So I have the quote from the Dhammapada at the top. Also a great quote from the Buddha himself. Just as the great oceans have but one taste, the taste of salt, so too there is but one taste fundamental to all true teachings of the way, and this is the taste of freedom. From the Christian Gospels, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I left my glasses, so. Ah. But that's okay, I'll just listen. Okay. I'll do better that way anyway. Yes. So from the Gospel of John, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then a koan. The Zen master Uman said, The world is such a wide world. Why do you answer a bell and don ceremonial robes? The master Yunman said, This world is such a wide world. Why do you answer a bell and don ceremonial robes. 
So, of course, the monks would be wearing ceremonial robes, and all their movements would be dictated by the bells in the temple, you know, the bell to sit in meditation, the bell to go to dinner. So their whole life would be run by these bells. And it, it's such a, a profound question of any of, the, any of the practices that we embrace. Is it really preparing us for a freedom as wide as the world itself is wide? You know, do we have a practice that's going to make us as wide as the world? You know, that's what I, that's what I like about that quote. From Epictetus, the Stoic philosopher, he said, freedom is not procured by a full enjoyment of what is desired, but by controlling the desire. Yamamoto's... Tsutsunotomo, who was a great samurai, said, This is the substance of the way of a samurai. If by setting one's heart right every morning and every evening, one is able to live as though his body were already dead, he gains freedom in the way. His whole life will be without blame, and he will succeed in his calling. Voltaire cynically said, It is difficult to free fools from the chains they revere. Goethe said, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. Kierkegaard said, anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. D.T. Suzuki said, What characterizes Zen is this, simplicity and sincerity and freedom. The last one is most important. Real freedom to see things in their suchness, I would say. That is freedom. The great guru Ramana Maharshi said, Your true nature is that of infinite spirit. The feeling of limitation is the work of the mind. The psychologist Viktor Frankl said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose the response. In our response lies our growth and freedom. Psychologist Rollo May said, freedom is man's capacity to take a hand in his own development. It is our capacity to mold ourselves. The Christian mystic Thomas Merton said, the whole purpose of spiritual direction is to penetrate beneath the surface of a man's life, to get behind the facade of conventional gestures and attitudes which he presents to the world and bring out his inner spiritual freedom, his inmost truth, which is what we call the likeness of Christ in his soul. From Pope John Paul II, Freedom consists not in doing what we like, but in having the right to do what we ought. Frank Herbert said, Seek freedom and become a captive of your desires. Seek discipline 
and find your liberty. Joe Class said, The truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. Thich Nhat Hanh said, Freedom is not given to us by anyone. We have to cultivate it ourselves. It is a daily practice. No one can prevent you from being aware of each step you take or each breath in and breath out. Rockstar Jim Morrison said, Expose yourself to your deepest fear. After that, fear has no power, and the fear of freedom shrinks and vanishes. You are free. Jack Cornfield said, Wherever you are is the perfect place to awaken. This moment is exactly the place, the place to practice compassion and loving awareness. You have all the ingredients to breathe and find freedom just where you are. Ong Yong Sung Ki, the, the great Burmese leader, said, The only real prison is fear, and the only real freedom is freedom from fear. Michael Singer said, The day you decide that you are more interested in being aware of your thoughts than the thoughts themselves, that is the day you will find out. The novelist David Foster Wallace said, the truth will set you free, but not until it is finished with you. Peter Santos said, spiritual freedom we seek cannot be found by grasping at, retreating to, or protecting our perceived space, safe spaces. Our freedom lies in, opening, in remaining open continuously, not only to life's changes, but also the, to the divine light within us and others. This is our choice. Although often perceived as a weakness, being open and surrendering to the experience of the present moment is our greatest strength. By living authentically, by authentically living life in the now, we submit to divine guidance where we find the freedom to see everything equally and sacred in truth. And finally, Elizabeth Lesser said, not only must we find the follow the golden thread toward spiritual freedom, but we also must unravel the garden variety twine that is wrapped tightly around our hearts and minds.